right, so this week we start our uh, new unit. We're going to be in Jeremiah. We'll also do Lamentations later on. Um, so Jeremiah is one of those um, Old Testament prophets. And, uh, well, well, we'll get into who he is in a minute. But um, it's one of the longer books of the Old Testament. And oftentimes, um, we just pick and choose out of the book. And rarely does it, the whole book get studied or looked at. Because just like Isaiah, we're only interested in the parts that relate to the coming of, of Christ and stuff. So we're going to take the time to actually look at the book, what's in it, what's going on. Remember, as we go through this book... This book was not written to the future people. They were written to the Jews living in Judea at that time period. So we have to look at it in its context as we study it. Yes, there's stuff that we're going to see is fulfilled later in Christ, but we need to remember who it was written to. God is speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Judea at this time. And that's, that's our context. We need to keep that in the back of our mind and not jump all the way forward to the time of Christ. Um, those passages are applicable as they show up there, but it's also applicable to the people that it was written to. So that's what we want to look at. That's how we're going to examine it, because any other way defeats the purpose of the book. So without further ado... Session one, God prepares. Um, we see that God prepares his people to represent him in this world. And this is important because today's world is pretty bad. Jeremiah's day, it was pretty bad. Um, there's going to be a lot of similarities between them. We'll be in Jeremiah chapter one. We'll be looking at the whole chapter, verses one through 19. Before we jump into our actual lesson, let's uh, get some specifics in this book. You have your handouts, hopefully. Does anybody need one? Everybody got a packet? Okay. So if you uh, open that up, you'll find that I have an outline for the book of Jeremiah in there that we'll use. It's also up here. I'm going to put it on the screen. Uh, there are five parts to the book of Jeremiah. The first is Jeremiah's call. It's just going to be chapter 1. Part 2 is going to be Jeremiah's call for repentance. So God is going to call Jeremiah, and then Jeremiah is going to call for the people to repent based on messages that God is going to give him. We'll, we'll talk about it. Some of them are going to be very symbolic, and we'll see that. That's going to be chapters 2 through 25. Part three, then, when that fails, Jeremiah is going to stand firm despite harassment. After 25 chapters of him calling the people to repent, the people are going to finally respond by coming after Jeremiah. Um, it's, yeah, they're going to they're going to do all sorts of. They're going to threaten his life. They're going to try and keep him in prison. Um, and that'll be chapters 26 through 36. Then we get to chapter 4, or section 4, and it'll be prophecies against the nations. 
These will be things that God has to say to all the nations around Judea. Um, remember, this is a book that's written after all of this stuff happens by Jeremiah. And this particular section may or may not be in chronological order. They, they just get her all lumped together at that point. That'll be chapters 46 through 51. They probably are prophecies that were given throughout the whole life of Jeremiah. Was there a question? You skip the book the, says 37 to 45. Well, you skip Jeremiah sees destruction ahead. Did I? Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that. I did. I totally jumped the section. Well, that's what happens when you type this when you're tired. <laughs> All right, so we can see it on this board here. Um, yeah, that's where that's where we start looking to the future. Um, in section, what is that? So that's section four. Jeremiah sees the destruction. That's going to be looking towards the future um, there. And then finally, uh, I guess it's actually section six. Is yeah, the fall of Jerusalem. Because Jeremiah is going to be there the day Nebuchadnezzar breaks in and destroys everything. So we'll go through this. Um, my recommendation as we do this, we're not going to hit every chapter. Uh, we're going to make large jumps like we usually do through these large books. Because it's a lot of repetitiveness. But I would recommend to you, read through the sections that we're not doing, and particularly for the next week. So we're starting with chapter one and all that, but we're gonna we'll make these jumps through. Read through them. Take the week and, and read through them so that you know. Alright. Sorry about that with the album. Alright, here we go. The timeline. Everybody loves the timeline. Here's our timeline of Jeremiah. Now here he is right here, this red line at the top. We can see that he starts in somewhere around 627 B.C. Jeremiah is called to be a prophet. And somewhere around 48 years later in 580, he ends. We don't know if he dies, but he stops prophesying. Which it coincides with the end of Judea. If you look, there's lots of different people. I've put a lot of the kings of the different nations because... As you read, they're going to come up. They'll be, they'll be mentioned in there. A couple of key things I want to point out. Josiah is king of Judea. Right there. We can see that he was king at the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry. What do we know about Josiah? He was a good king. We know that Josiah had, and you can see it right here, four temple reforms on your chart. It's right here. This is the fourth one. He had four reforms that, that brought the people back to worshiping God. Here's where that is. You can see it. It's right on that line. And if we run our finger up, Jeremiah was already called to be a prophet. Jeremiah was called during the time of a good king, which means that the people were seriously not listening to God. They seriously were not following God. God felt it necessary to call a man, and we're going to see the things that God asks him to do 
and to proclaim to these people during the reign of a good king. I mean, he's probably reigns through about a third of Jeremiah's ministry, Josiah's king. And he's a good king. He's a godly king. He follows the things of God. So that's, that's important to recognize. Secondly, Jeremiah's time period comes when Nineveh falls. So Jeremiah starts prophesying before Nineveh falls and the evil that was going on there. Um, so that's there. We also see that he is in the middle of his ministry during the first deportation. Nebuchadnezzar comes and he takes the people of Judah, he takes all the well-to-do, good-looking, intelligent people out of the court because the king of Judah at that time is not listening. And so Nebuchadnezzar deports them. Now, who's, who are those people? We know one of them. Daniel. Daniel, yeah. So Jeremiah is the prophet when Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're all kids. They're all somewhere in their teens, and they get carted off. So Jeremiah has been prophesying their whole lives because they're not much more than 18, maybe 20 when they go. And Jeremiah is almost halfway through the 40-some years that he's uh, a prophet. So they've heard Jeremiah their whole lives when they go off to the first deportation. That's going to be significant because I think that it probably had a significant impact on their lives as we see um, a lot of Daniel's ministry is going to be very similar to Jeremiah's. All right. One last thing. Um, down here we see the end. As we get closer to the end, now this isn't the end. Here's the end of Jeremiah's ministry. We see here, this is the final deportation. The last time the Babylonians come and take people out of Judea is here. You can see there's, he's still got about a quarter of his time left. He's probably got about 10 years left. Somewhere right in that time period is when um, Lamentations is written. So that's written towards the end of his prophetic time. And you can see there, all the different all the different things that are in here. Um, Assyria falling to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's first invasion. Babylon's <laughs> assault of Judah. Uh, the battle of Carchemish. We've talked about that. Nebuchadnezzar's third invasion. All that stuff is there. This is an interesting one. At the bottom of the screen here, at the bottom of your page, uh, right in the middle of uh, Jeremiah's ministry, they invented coins. Actually minted coins for money. Um, about 600 BC. That's when it would. That's when money was introduced. Before that, it was barter and trade. You would have sticks of um, silver or gold, and you would break it off, and they put it on the scale and weigh it, and that's how they determined value based on weight. Um, but within 600 BC, they introduced coins, and the coins had value, and it was set um, by the king usually, or. Um, by money changers, like a large group of money changers would mint their own coins and stuff. So that's during the time of Jeremiah, just for history's sake. Um, that's what's going on. So any questions on that? <clears throat>
that at your leisure in the coming weeks. If you look at your packet, there's also two maps that I've put in there. Um, one showing the campaigns of Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it's on the wall over there. If you don't have one, you can look at them there. You can see how that works. We're gonna, we'll, those all happen during the time of Jeremiah, so we'll talk about those as they show up. The other one is just shows the land and the places and, and stuff like that. So that's in there. If you will turn to the um, prophecies of Jeremiah, there we go. Uh, there's a page that looks like that. These are the five prophecies that Jeremiah enacts. These prophecies were not just spoken words. They were acts that Jeremiah will do. And we're going to see that, um, yeah, that they're, they're pretty bad. Uh, some of the stuff he's, they're not bad like that they're bad, but uh, they're things that he's asked to do to illustrate what God was trying to communicate. We saw that with Ezekiel. Um, Ezekiel was called to do some pretty nasty stuff which he comes after Jeremiah. So it starts here. God is going to use Jeremiah. We didn't see this with Isaiah. Isaiah would just show up and tell you what God said. And we can see there's a progression here. God gets, with, as we come to Jeremiah, who shows up later than Isaiah, we'll talk about that in a minute, uh, God adds these activities as illustrations so the people would get the point. And then we get to Ezekiel where they're extreme illustrations, like laying on your side for so long and having to eat food cooked over uh, burning dung and, and other stuff like that. Yeah, we see a progression here as we look at what God is doing. So these are five symbolic prophecies there, and there's an explanation. We're going to look at most of those in our things. If you look through the... Um, your, the rest of your packet, there's a list of, uh, of um, uh, prophets. Yeah, prophets that were in the land at the time of Jeremiah. Uh, there's an article on the acrostic poetry of Lamentations. That's interesting, um, particularly because the article is written simply enough. It's very complicated to look at it in Hebrew if you don't know your Hebrew, but there's an explanation of it there that it's Understanding Lamentations, people take a lot of stuff out of context because we don't read it in Hebrew, and there are reasons it's written the way it is, and it's because it's an acrostic, which we understand in English poetry, but it's really different in Hebrew poetry. So that's an interesting article. There's an article on the background of Lamentations explaining what's going on in it. There's an article on the New Covenant that Jeremiah is proclaiming, which is often all we focus on in Jeremiah is this new covenant because it has to relate to the New Testament. Um, but there's an article in there. And then finally, there's an interesting word study on the word hesed. Hesed is the word for loving kindness. It's the idea of the agape love in the Old Testament. It's an interesting word study. Uh, you should you know, understand that because Jeremiah is going to use it a lot in his uh, writing. So that's what's in your packets. If you've got uh, questions. All right, let's get to some background as we look at the, or start this book of Jeremiah. Let's talk about Jeremiah the man first. Um, we know that the name, his name means Jehovah 
throws, um, which is interesting. Uh, Jehovah throws it. He's, so God is tossing Jeremiah. He, he's chucking him at the people kind of idea. Uh, we know that he's known as the weeping prophet. That's often how he's referred to, mainly because of his writing of Lamentations. Uh, he was very emotional about it. His weeping, though, is for Judah. Uh, some people want to talk about it. His life is hard, and it's pretty horrible the way they treat him, leaving him for dead and all sorts of stuff. He's not weeping for his own trials. Do not confuse that. There's a lot of teaching out there that's skewed in this. His weeping is for Judah because they won't listen. He keeps telling them, God keeps sending messages. There are five other prophets wandering around. And they're not listening to any of them. And he knows the words of Isaiah. So all the stuff Isaiah taught and said and all that is history. And they didn't listen. Jeremiah is weeping for it. Jeremiah was a priest. He belonged to the family of Aaron. He was a priest. And he is called out of the priesthood to become a prophet. He served as a prophet for nearly 40 years, which is a pretty long time. Most prophets didn't, don't last that long, but 40 years. We know that he was a youth when he's called. Now, the word that's used in our, in our Bibles, the Hebrew word there, could mean baby all the way up to a young man in his 20s, um, which is interesting. The fact that he was a priest means that he was probably past his uh, 13th year and, and somewhere likely, um, because that's when they became a man, uh, they, you were considered, you could read the Torah and all study and all that. So he's probably in his late teens, early 20s, uh, when he's called based on on those things, um, but he's a he was a priest, so he was yeah he was likely late teens, early twenties. Um, God comes to him and says, "Hey, you're going to be my spokesman," and we'll we'll see that as we study this in a minute. We also know that he's from the town of Antotha. It is in the land of Benjamin, but he is not a Benjaminite. This was a town, and if we go back and look um, to the time of uh, Joshua, it was a town in the, in the land of Benjamin that was given to the priests. It was given to the Levites. And if you remember, the Levites did not get any land. Their inheritance was what? The offerings? Well, no, that, that, that was a payment, but not oh. the... Their inheritance was Being the, the Lord, serving, serving God. They were God's servants. So they didn't get land. They got a life of service to God. They were going to be the priests. That was their, that was their due. Anybody remember why? Why they didn't get land? All right, Carl. So the Sinai and Levi uh, were the killers at Tavishek. Yes. They were cursed by Jacob. The two brothers, Simeon and Levi, were cursed by their father because they killed the men of Shechem 
through the use of circumcision. They told them that if you circumcised yourselves, you could marry our sister. And then when they were suffering from circumcision surgery, they came and killed them all. And so because of their violence, they weren't. You. But then they were redeemed later on. Levi was redeemed. Simeon was not. Levi was redeemed because they used the <coughs> sword against all the Israelites that were worshiping the golden calf. And that's when God said, okay, I'm going to redeem you. You still don't get any land because you've been cursed from that. But you'll become my servants, and that will be your inheritance, is that you become the priest. And when they came into the land, they were giving cities. These were cities of the Levites, and they were cities of what? Refuge. Refuge. That's where you can go if you accident manslaughter. If you committed manslaughter, you could go to a city of refuge and live there, and you were safe. Nobody could harm you. This is where we get the whole idea that the church is a refuge, and that people come into the church, and the cops can't come in and drag them out and all that. That's the way it used to be, anyway. That's where that idea, sanctuary, the whole idea of a sanctuary city, that's where it comes from. It comes from the Old Testament. Joshua set them up, and those cities were given to the Levites to run. And that's where they, they often stored um, all the extra wood and all the sheep, because, I mean, they, they didn't need all the sheep all the time. And they had to raise sheep for the sacrifice. All of that, those cities were given to them, and they were cities of refuge. He's from one of those towns. He's living and in Antothoth. Anathoth. Am I saying that right? Anathoth. Too many lists. <laughs> All right, so where is this city? That's a good question. Glad you asked. Here we go. We have a map. This isn't your map. This is one of my maps. Um, okay, so the city, well, first of all, this line represents the division of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. You can see that here. Here's the Mount of Olives. Jerusalem is right here. I don't know why they didn't put it on this map, but Jerusalem is right there. Um, there we go. So right in there is where Jerusalem is. You can see how close it is to the line for the north and the south. There's Anathoth. That's the city. It's a village, a city, town, whatever you want to call it. And it, it's right, it's there, it's close to the border. Um, all, everything from Jerusalem down is the land of Judea. And this here um, is Benjamin up this way uh, for it. So that's where he's from. So he's not far uh, from the city of Jerusalem. His father was a priest. Uh, it, it appears that his father may have been the high priest of the town, or like he ran the town. Um, but that's unclear. That's what they believe with it. So that's who Jeremiah is, and we're going to get to know him as he develops. So, I mean, here's this young man raised in, in right on the border. His whole life, the north and south have been fighting. You think the troops probably marched through there quite a bit. Probably battles in and out of there all the time. Um, but not far from the temple. Likely took their turn in rotation down at the temple. Made many a trip down there uh, for it. Any questions or comments on Jeremiah? Yeah, I Go ahead. have a question. Um, so we have this map in here. I know it doesn't have it on there, but is it 
what's, what's it near? What town like near Jerusalem is it? Near? Okay, if you the easiest way if you find Jerusalem, yep. find Jericho. Okay. Draw a line between the two okay. and go about a quarter of the way to Jericho from Jerusalem, and that's about where it is, right there in that mountain area. Okay, thank you. It's funny when when I was in Bible college. We didn't have any computers and, and, and all that, so a lot of this stuff wasn't generatable. What we had was books of satellite images, map that were gridded as maps, and we were expected to plot this stuff on maps. And somewhere I have I have mine where I sat painstakingly for hours. And we would get it, and we'd get the little rulers out, and you got to figure out the distance. So it's this distance from here, and all that. And you would plot them on the map, and we had to turn them in for a grade. Now I can get, just download a map with all of it on there and have all the, the, the satellite, you know, you can see all the mountains and all that uh, with it. But, uh, yeah, we got it a lot easier now. All right, let's look at talk about the book of Jeremiah as we get into this. So here we go. The book of Jeremiah, the name comes because of who, it, who wrote it. Um, as we look at it, that's his name in Hebrew. Uh, I stuck that up there, or the word Jeremiah, if any of you are interested. We see that it was written 60 years after Isaiah's death, somewhere around in 627. I don't know that it was actually written there. That's when the story of Jeremiah starts. So the beginning of the book takes place at 627. It's probably written towards the end of Jeremiah's life. He begins to write and record it. I mean, he's probably got notes and whatnot throughout. I mean, that's typically how it goes. So, 60 years. So Isaiah, all that seriousness of Isaiah. I mean, if you've read, if you've been through the study of Isaiah with me, it's heavy. It's serious prophecy um, concerning then, concerning now, concerning the future, uh, all that. So it's well circulated, particularly among the priesthood uh, and the believers and during the times of Josiah, as we said, it's revival. People are, are, you know, it's a good king. Um, so the study and readings of these things are going on. Remember, though, there are no synagogues yet. Synagogues don't start until after they go into captivity. So you can't go down to your local synagogue and read the Torah. Where would you have to go to get a copy? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. You got to go to the temple. All the teaching and all that stuff takes place at the temple. In Jerusalem, training, teaching, studying, debate, discussion, all that takes place there because there are no synagogues yet. The book of Jeremiah is also known as the book of judgment, if you're looking for it. And it comes in two sections. There are really two sections of the book. I know we got this nice little outline over here that I couldn't type up properly. Um, but it's really about two things. The first part of the book is about destruction. The coming judgment that God is going to bring. And we saw that in the timeline. Jeremiah is going to live through the three deportations of Jews. All the attacks that come by Babylon. All the wars. You, they're all on that page that get fought in the... Um, in the nation of Israel between Egypt and, and Babylon are going to have wars constantly and they always take place in Israel. So 
uh, you know, the big dogs want to fight, but they don't want to mess up their own backyard. So they, they take the one in the middle. Um, but the destruction. Then there's going to be the whole ending part of this book is construction. God is going to restore, and that's where we look to the future. And that's often where we, when we turn to Jeremiah, that's where we look. Is we want to come and see what the future is going to be. Uh, and not that. And we see that the book is going to use symbolism at least five times. There's going to be five major symbols that will be used to explain what God wants his people to do. So that's what's in this book as we look at it. And it's a quick overview as we look at the book. Any questions before we jump in and start taking apart this week's lesson? So here we go. We said this is session one. God prepares. Preparation, or the lack of it, affects whether we will be successful in an endeavor. The more important the task, the more we will need to prepare for it. Have you ever started something? Mm -hmm. How much time did you spend preparing for it? Not enough. Not enough. <laughs> I had the pleasure over the last uh, couple of years to help uh, one of my brothers build a deck. Not me. <laughs> no, it wasn't Chubb. Um, and yeah, we, it, it took us several years to build the deck, mainly because there was a lack of preparation. And the preparation that was made wasn't had to be changed because it wasn't good enough preparation. Anytime we start something, I mean, if you think about it, any building project that you may or may not or have watched or been part of, you know, you get blueprints and architects and engineers, and then all that goes to the government, and then they can, they write it up and they mark it back and send it to you, and you fix it, and you send it back. Anything like that, huge amount. When you prepare to go to college, we don't think about it, but when you prepare to go to college, you've already spent 12 years in preparation in school. You gotta go all the way back to kindergarten and learn how to share. It's a big part of college. Because you're gonna have roommates. You learn that in kindergarten. It's part of the preparation for college, right? <clears throat> then you gotta learn to read, you gotta learn to write, you gotta learn to think a little bit and interact. You gotta learn that girls have cooties. That's an important part because when you go to college, you know, all that, yeah, all that. But you, you prepare. And I remember being in high school, and English class was all about writing the term paper. And it's four years of learning to write term papers, and then you get to college, and all the rules changed. And you're still writing, learning, but there's 12 years of preparation for it. We think college, yes, college has been. But it was 12 years of preparation. That's what that was. And all that is to have 16 years to prepare you for your first real job, your first full-time, whatever it is, professional job. And that's all the preparation for that, which leads you to your whole rest of your life. Because then it's you know marriage and children and mortgage payments. And, and, and all, it's all preparation. Everything is kind of preparation for whatever's next. If we don't prepare, 
Well, we have friends, you know, everybody's got those friends that didn't prepare. They didn't do well in school. And, you know, where are they now? How are they living? They're, they're not doing well because they didn't take the time for the preparation. Then they got to the point that they were ready for adult life and they weren't prepared, right? So that's it. We, we, see, we, we got to look at, that's how life is. Wherever you're at right now is preparation for what's coming next. Now, we don't know what's coming next. Jeremiah didn't know what was coming next. He had no clue that he was, whole life was about to change. He's a man of 18, 20 some years old. And he has been studying to be a priest. He's been working as a priest, getting ready. And all of a sudden, everything's going to change. So let's look at that as we see his calling here in chapter 1. So somebody go ahead and read chapter 1, verses 1 through 10 of Jeremiah. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, and until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Thank you. Um, yeah, verse 5. What does that tell us about preparation? <laughs> it begins before we were even born. It begins before we're even born. attention. 
It says God consecrated him before birth. What is consecration? Setting aside. Setting aside, setting apart, having a particular plan. God had a plan for Jeremiah before he was born. That's a scary thought when you think about your life. God had a plan. We know what the plan is? No. Jeremiah didn't know until this, this happens. But there's a plan. God has got a plan. You know, we often talk about the sovereignty of God. This is it. He's laid out everything already. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't have the ability to choose because we can go against God's plan. But he has a plan. And he was consecrated before birth. And what was that for? It was to be a prophet. He was planned as a prophet before he was born. The preparation. Now, he didn't know that. His parents didn't know that. Some, some of them we do know. Some of the prophets, it was foretold that they would be. The uh, case of um, Samson, they knew before he was born that he was going to be consecrated and his whole life was supposed to be spent in dedication to his life. How did that work out? <laughs> he didn't follow through. He didn't follow through. See, we have choice. There is the sovereignty. God's got a plan. But he doesn't make us puppets. We're not a hand puppet with a God hand in us. And he's doing everything, making us do whatever's going to happen. He had a plan and Samson didn't follow it. Here's Jeremiah. He's been planned. He didn't know. And now it's his chance. Make a decision, Jeremiah. His complaint was what? That he was a youth and couldn't, didn't know how to speak. Yeah, he was a youth and didn't know how to speak. Sounds like uh, Moses. It sounds like Moses. He's not the only one. Who else complained about being able to speak? Isaiah. Isaiah. Remember, Isaiah, for his calling, was taken into heaven in a vision. And he stood before the throne of God. And God calls him. And what does he say? I'm a man of unclean. I can't speak for you, God. I have unclean lips. And what does God do to rectify that? Takes the burning coal and places it on his lips. What does he do here? God cleanses Jeremiah's mouth. What does he cleanse it with? His hand or touch. His own hand. In Isaiah's case, God used a, used a burning coal from the altar in his presence and placed it upon his lips. Here, Jeremiah is called and God takes his own hand and cleanses it. Makes him perfect for service. He perfects that mouth for him. Three men, all the same excuse. How did God fix Moses's? He sent Aaron. I give you your brother. He can be your mouthpiece. Look how that worked. <laughs> Not so well. Isaiah, 
My, my mouth is dirty. It's filthy. I can't, I can't do it. He cleanses it with fire. And here, I'm too young. I, I'm inexperienced. I can't do this. And God cleanses it with his own hand. What excuses have you made not to serve God? It's interesting as we've looked at those who have complained that they were not worthy of being God's chosen. He has overrun their deficiencies. And he doesn't do it the same way every time, does he? No. Jeremiah was called and God wanted him. God wants us. We've been called to serve. Maybe not as in lofty a position as Jeremiah as a prophet. But there are people in our lives that only we can minister to. There are only people, there, there are people that only we will ever have a chance to speak the words of God to. And it may not even be actual words. It may just be the watching of your life. Callings, we are all called. Our modern church in America, we think of calling only on the pastor, on missionaries. They're, they're, they're the men of God. But that's not true, is it? Last week we looked at Peter. He was called. He messed up. And then he was recalled to serve. Some are called to higher service than others, but we are all called, we're told in the New Testament. We all have a calling. We are all meant to evangelize. We are all meant to teach, to train people in whatever we know about God. And here's Jeremiah. He's a priest. He's trained. And God says, I'm calling you. And he says, I, I, I can't do it. I'll fix that. We have been fixed, haven't we? How have we been fixed? The blood of Jesus. We've been cleansed. His lips needed cleansing. Isaiah's lips needed cleansing. Guess what? We've been cleansed by the blood. You're prepared for service. If you've believed, if you've accepted the cleansing blood has made you a new creation. You have been cleansed to be of service. Are you serving? That doesn't mean that you sign up for every activity the church is having. Sometimes service is a cup of coffee sitting across from a co-worker during a break. And they're pouring the disaster that their life is out to you. And you show them what God can do or what God has done for you. That service. It isn't always the guy who's standing up front and teaching or singing or whatever and all that. That's service. But we are all called to service because we all have people. We all have neighbors. Your neighbors may be 50 acres away, but you have neighbors that need you to serve in whatever manner. Comment, question. All right, so Jeremiah's called into service. Let's look at uh, chapter 1, verses 11 through 16. 
and the word of the <coughs> Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree. I replied, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my, my word is fulfilled. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see? I see a boiling pot tilting away from the north, I answered. The Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on all who live in the land. I am about to summon all the peoples of the northern kingdoms, declares the Lord. Their kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They will come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me, in burning incense to other gods and in worshiping what their hands have made. All right, there's a lot in here. The peoples of the north, who are we talking about? Israel. Oh. Got a nice little map here. Um, this is the whole of Central, or I guess not Central Asia, but um, the Near East. The eastern and uh, the western side of the east. Or the eastern side. Anyway, you can see there are, here's Jerusalem, right here. There are all these different peoples, the Tabal people, Uratu, Elam, Sumner. Those are all nations. These are all nations mostly conquered um, by the Assyrians. But all these nations are the northern or north of Jerusalem. And they're going to be summoned. The armies of Babylon were not just the people of Babylonia. It's a small kingdom. Um, here's the nation of Babylon, or that's the city. It takes up a lot of Sumner and the like. But all these peoples had interactions with Israel, beginning with the reign of Solomon. He had trade routes. He had people that would send tribute to him. These were all nations that paid homage to him and to Israel for a long period until the rise of Nineveh. And as the Ninevites became the Assyrian Empire and incorporated, they are all coming. They're going to come and they are going to be at the gates of Israel. It's interesting as we look at these nations. This is Turkey over here today, isn't it? We've got Syria up here. Iraq all through here. Iran, Tajikistan, all those are up in here, right? All the Stans, they're up in the Caucasus Mountains. Yeah, all those nations. Who do they hate today? Israel. Well, yeah, they hate America. But Israel. They, they hate and love America because they, they want our money and stuff. Israel. But they hate Israel. You look at this map, and Israel is just this little thin slice over here. All of these lands, which are very oil-rich, 
And as you get farther north, they become rich in plutonium and uranium and stuff. They got lots and lots of resources, and they all still are wanting to wage war. This prophecy is, is, is continuing, isn't it? The nations of Israel, or the nation of Israel is still under this siege, if you will, that Jeremiah is talking about today. I find that very interesting. As we look at this uh, passage, uh, the whole idea that the boiling pot is facing south is the idea that's being poured out. So this is just, it, the idea is it's showing the pouring idea of it and all that. Don't read into it too much. I mean, God explains it to Jeremiah. It's very plain. There's a lot of a lot of guys out there because it's a prophecy and it's, th this was a prophet. They want to attach all this mystical stuff to it. There isn't. The <laughs> idea is that these nations, like a boiling pot, are being poured out on Jerusalem. That's, that's the idea. That's the, the point. But we see that God watched. He has been watching Israel. And their evil is not doing good. Who's king? Josiah. Josiah. Temple reforms. Godly king. Brings the sacrifices back. We, we looked at a lot of jo Josiah when we did our study of kings, right? God says it's still evil. The people are evil. I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. Josiah did not forsake God. But the people were. He is watching his message that Jeremiah is preaching. Jeremiah has been sent with a message to the people. Jeremiah is the people's prophet, if you will. Whereas Isaiah, where did he go? To the court. He was a, he was a prophet in the courts. Jeremiah is in the prophet to the people. And God is watching their response to him. And the people aren't accepting, are they? Think of Jeremiah as the uh, New York street preacher standing on the corner. Now, we think of those guys and we think, oh, yeah, they're just crazy. Yeah. And stuff as they stand on the soapbox on the corner. Um, it is interesting. I have actually done it. Um, I stood on the corner in England. Speaker's Corner, they call it. It's in Hyde Park in London. I stood there and I preached a sermon to the passerby crowds. And was heckled and everything else. And I was a young man. I was, what, 18? Yeah, yeah I was 18 at the time. <laughs> I was on a mission trip. They're like, is anybody willing to do it? And, you know, I'm, I'm young and dumb. So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. So was Joe a heckler? No, he wasn't even there. He was, where were you? You were in Belize. Guatemala. Guatemala, that's it. And uh, I'm standing there, you know, and this is, this is New York, or New York, this is London. Yeah. And I'm standing on Speaker's Corner on a little box, because they got boxes right there. Mm -hmm. And I and I did my little 15-minute spiel. And, you know, some people would stop and listen. Some would heckle. Some would just, you know, 
They, they don't know. They just throw a couple pence in, a, in, in, in whatever in front of you for you to pick up. But they don't really pay any attention. <coughs> God's watching, and Jeremiah is going to the people. Josiah is running reform. So you've got the government on this side saying, we need to serve God. But Jeremiah can't, or Josiah can't get the people interested. He's doing all he can do without making it a government edict, which previous kings had done. And it lasted until about the second they died and their evil sons took over. And they're like, hey, we're going to party back to the you know, fraternity parties. Uh, bring, and they brought all back the old gods and all their things. Well, Josiah is king. And Jeremiah has been sent to rally the people to the reforms Josiah is moving. So you've got both entities working together in what's happening. People still aren't listening. People still aren't listening. This goes to the whole point. We cannot legislate morality. morality. We cannot do it in our day, so getting all the right officials elected isn't going to help. Having the best preachers isn't going to help. The individual people have to listen and choose. Remember, we talked about this last week. Our faith has to be built on knowledge. These guys are providing the knowledge. But then we have to make the choice to believe it. Remember, Satan and all the demons are believers, but they are not Christians. They believe, they know, but they choose to rebel. Jeremiah is preaching, God's watching, and they are not following. And so he says, my judgment is going to be poured out. I want you to see that God says my judgment will be poured out. This is what my judgment is going to be. It is going to be the invasion of all the peoples in the north. We got a lot of guys running around right now that, are, that claim all sorts of things of the judgment of God. Hurricanes. Ah, oh, it's God's judgment on New Orleans for all their uh, sinful ways. AIDS, it's a judgment on all the gays and lesbians. COVID, it's a judgment on, I don't know what that one was a judgment on, but the world. Judgment is always proclaimed by God. If he's actually judging, he lets us know. There's no guessing that. This was going to be judgment. We'll see that as we go through more of this book. All right, very quickly, because I've used up all my time. Jeremiah chapter 1, 17 through 19. Quickly, somebody read that. Anybody. Get yourself ready. Stand up and say to them, whatever I command you, do not be terrified by them, or I will terrify you before them. Today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. This is a great passage. I wish I had some more time, but we don't, so we're going to push through it really quick. God charges Jeremiah with his duties. First, don't be imitated. 
yeah, intimidated by people. Because I'm going to make you a fortified city. Fortified cities are nearly impregnable until the advent of aircraft. Trebuchets and stuff like that helped, but they were still pretty hard to beat. He tells them, you're going to be opposed, but they will never prevail. Why? I am with you. We're talking about calling. We've all been called. Guess what? We've all been told that God is with us till the end of the age. God knew, formed, consecrated, and appointed him. It was indeed encouraging for Jeremiah to know that God had specifically equipped him to carry out his commission. The knowing was not mere cognition, but a sense of relationship and approval. God's claim on his life was prior to all other relationships. As with the servant of the Lord, the psalmist, and Paul, Jeremiah's consecration was his be being set apart for a definite spiritual purpose. He, here is the biblical coupling of God's foreknowledge and his sanctifying his servant. The emphasis is on the divine initiative and sovereign choice. In this respect, Jeremiah was appointed a prophet for a worldwide ministry. That's deep. And we are all in a similar boat. Let's look at the uh, doctrine that goes to this. It is the duty and privilege of every follower of Christ and of every church of the Lord Jesus Christ to endeavor to make disciples of all nations. That's what it's all about. That's what Jeremiah was called to do. And all of us have all been called. We've all been appointed, gifted in different ways to accomplish this very task. All right, a couple of things to take with us, and then I'll let you get out of here. First of all, God creates people with a purpose to fulfill. There are no worthless people. Secondly, through his word, God declares the promises of judgment on those who ignore him. Whether it was then or now, you ignore God at the own peril. And lastly, God promises his presence when we faithfully deliver his message. If we're serving him, he's with us. That doesn't mean that it'll all be easy. Because it certainly won't be for Jeremiah. But it will accomplish. And we already know the outcome. Jeremiah had no idea, but we already know we won. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the illustration that Jeremiah is to us. The inspiration that he will become as we do this study. Lord, help us to remember you have called us to your ministry. And that we would make the choice to serve in whatever area or capacity it may be, whether it be small or large, Lord, give us the willingness to serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.